Welcome to the Psalms, a call to words podcast where timeless truths shape today's words. I am your host, David Bunce, and I hope that you will be blessed as we journey through the great songbook of the Bible. Commentator Derek Kidner writes, If the purest form of a hymn is praise to God for what he is and does, this is a fine example. And it's true, this is a fine, even wonderful example of how God is worthy of our praise and adoration. And spoiler alert, that's how this psalm ends, in praise toward God. Yet, it is not before the psalmist has walked us through the reasons to praise our great and awesome God. Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The warhorse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. What we see here is the incredible joy of trusting and hoping in the Lord and indeed his steadfast love that Chesed we have spoken of before will point us toward the trustworthy character that is worthy of rejoicing in, being joyful in, and reveals God's own heart towards his people. Spurgeon comments on verse 1, rejoicing in the Lord, notice the connection between the words rejoice and praise. Joy is the soul of praise. God is not extolled by our misery, but by our holy mirth. Be glad in the Lord, for so can you make him glorious. Rejoice and praise, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise is the beauty of a Christian. What wings are to a bird, what fruit is to a tree, what the rose is to the thorn, that is praise to a child of God. 
I wholeheartedly agree with Spurgeon's comment here. The shouting for joy needs to be a characteristic that is known of Christians. Uh, There is certainly room and space for us to be sober-minded and to be uh, conscious of the need to walk a holy life, but that is not at odds with expressing the joy that comes from living in a communion, communion relationship with the Lord, who in His steadfast love shows us His mercy and His kindness. The problem often is that we ourselves get in the way, and Stephen Whitmer offers a wonderful blog post about this and talks about Psalm 33 specifically, how the real treasure of this psalm is that it answers the question, our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. How does he form a people who will say that? One, first, God is a speaking Lord whose words are perfectly upright and incredibly powerful. Second, God is a sovereign Lord who rules all the earth through the ages. Third, God is a seeing God who observes everything about everyone, everywhere. And finally, and best of all, God is a saving Lord who delivers from death. He goes on to say that this radically God-centered approach turns mere listeners into worshipers. And it points to a profound irony in life. The way to become most happy and fulfilled is to think less about ourselves and more about God. He says our selfie-stick society, though I guess that's outdated by this point, in the, moves in the opposite direction. And sadly, many professing Christians get this totally wrong. One popular television preacher, for instance, says, To find happiness, quit focusing on what's wrong with you and start focusing on what's right with you. No, start focusing on how big and powerful and just and merciful and wise and good your God really is. In his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, Tim Keller identifies the problem. Up until the 20th century, traditional cultures, and this is still true of most cultures in the world, always believed that too high a view of yourself was the root cause of all the evil in the world. Our belief today, and it is deeply rooted in everything, is that people misbehave for a lack of self-esteem and because they have too low a view of themselves. But the fact is, the Bible is not primarily about us. Instead, it is about God lifting our eyes to see Him and His glory and everything that we should worship about His character, who He is. And in verse 3, the psalmist tells us to sing to Him a new song. All of our songs should be to Him. And in fact, Spurgeon comments again for singing is for seeing sake, is nothing worth, worth nothing. We must carry our tribute to the king and not cast it to the winds. Do most worshipers mind this? Our faculties should be exercised when we are magnifying the Lord, so as not to run into an old groove without thought. We ought to make every hymn of praise a new song. He says it is wretched to hear God praised in a slovenly manner. He deserves the best that we have. Every Christian should endeavor to sing according to the rules of the art, so they may keep time and tune with the congregation. The sweetest tunes and the sweetest voices with the sweetest words are all too little for the Lord our God. Uh, What really matters is this heart of worship, not simply being the best singer that there is. Uh, I don't think it's a good idea to withhold people even from choirs that don't have the best musical ability, uh, but instead to let all of the congregation sing and worship and be able to lift their voices in song because God is worthy 
of our praise. And so if we understand this, we can think about what it means to praise God and basing it in his character as the psalmist does. The work of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the earth being filled with the Lord, all the inhabitants standing in awe of him, all that the Lord does, he rules over all things. And in fact, he specially shows his kind and caring providence and sovereignty over his own people. He says that the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as in his heritage, those are the ones that are blessed. So the ones that are blessed are those that are his What a wonderful assurance if you are in Christ Jesus, united to Jesus Christ, adopted by him, brought into the family of God, he then rejoices over you and is continuing to bless you and give you all that you need. And it's found, located centrally, in him. He sees everything that's going on in the world, but ultimately the psalmist is going to draw our attention to see nothing else will deliver. Though even the warhorse, the king, the warrior, all of them false hopes for salvation. Nothing in this world can rescue. Not a new political leader, not a new social plan. Nothing in this world will bring about the rescue that our hearts so crave. So what do we do? The psalmist gives us instruction in verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. As we've talked about before, this is not a passive waiting, but it is actively trusting in God. In uh, Trimper Longman's commentary, he says that the psalm celebrates God as creator who brings order to disorder. Here are all of the words that the psalmist used relating to how God made everything in this earth, ex nihilo, out of nothing. But he brings disorder, order order to disorder, the waters, and is the decisive force in the battle against his people's enemies. Thus, the psalm is a strong statement about God's sovereignty over unruly forces. New Testament readers of this psalm live in the midst of conflict, but it is better characterized as spiritual warfare. Even so, like the psalmist, And David facing Goliath, uh, Christians understand that their protection comes from God himself. Verse 6 celebrates creation by proclaiming that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. John 1, 1 through 3 speaks of Jesus as the word. And so we know nothing was made except through him. That is an incredible realization of Jesus being creator, sustainer, and redeemer. May we worship him and trust in him as the great and good God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this psalm. How wonderful it is to see you as the sovereign, righteous Lord who is redeeming us, making us whole, cleansing us from unrighteousness, giving us a path to pursue and the strength through your sacrifice to pursue it. Lord, may we trust in your steadfast love, looking to you. May the earth fear the Lord. May we see more and more people turn from sin and trust in the gospel and then delight in the goodness of God. May there be shouting among the congregations of righteous joy, celebrating the goodness of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to The Psalms, a Called to Words podcast. For more content, just visit calledtowords.com. I hope you will join us again next time for more riches from The Psalms.